Hello, everybody. Welcome to Healing You, Healing Me. This is Anna Daniels Omamaro, your host, and I am very glad that you're here. So this is part two of Who Has Jennifer Ann? And I'm so very excited and just extremely happy to um, bring you part two of this story with Jennifer. This is one of the most amazing adoption stories that I've ever heard. Um, the twist and turns that happened as a result of finding out that she was adopted is just beyond anything that I have imagined, really. It's almost like a TV script. So without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce you to Jennifer Ferguson. If you will welcome her to Healing You, Healing Me. And just to give you a recap of where we left off last week, um, Jennifer found out that she was adopted at 25 years old. And it was not a secret that was supposed to be shared with her. However, in fooling around with her godbrother, just having a conversation, he kind of let the cat out of the bag. And that one slip up changed her life for the course of the next 40 years. So help me welcome Jennifer Ferguson back to the show. Yay, Jennifer! Welcome back to Healing You, Healing Me. And um, so how are you feeling? You've had a week to reflect on the things that we talked about, your feelings, et cetera, et cetera. How are you feeling? So during this whole time, over the course of the 40 years from the time, because for those of you who listened last week, Jennifer had two children by the time she found out she was adopted. So over the course of the last 40 years and in the course of you finding out, you know, at 25 that you were adopted, the children never knew the entire story. such an intricate story like there are so many layers and parts in this story because once you found out I'm sure that your relationship with your biological mother just really became more enhanced because of the love that you had had for her for the first 25 years of your life would you say that were true about when I met you, by the time I met you, I was about 24 years old when I met you. And um, I was on Ella's, on Ella was, I was her only niece. She was the, the aunt that had all the girls and everybody else had boys. So I was her only niece. And what's unfortunate about our relationship was that we had only seen each other two times. Um, and the second time, or maybe three times, and the second time that I saw her was when I met you. 
And I remember, I didn't know anything about your story, but I remember hearing you call her in, in your, your Charleston voice, mama. <laughs> and I just, I, I'm thinking back now to when I finally learned your story and because at that point I had questions because I knew that Laura was your mom and, and I just needed clarity because there were a lot of things about this side of the family that I did not know. So um, I don't know. This is just such a story. So let's go back to um, where we left off from last week. The last thing that we talked about was the fact that you were getting ready, you were preparing to go meet Ella. Ella had sent you a plane ticket and you um, left the children to fly to Boston to meet her. Tell me about when you arrived at the airport. Were you nervous? Were you afraid? Were you happy, unhappy? What in the world were you feeling? <laughs> okay. I don't think I was nervous because I'm going to see my favorite aunt, which just happens to be my mother, which just happened to make me happy. So the nervousness wasn't on my side. The nervousness was on my biological mother's side. You just seem to be taking this whole news, this this whole entire scenario of your life, you just seem to be taking this whole thing in stride. Like, you know, we've all watched TV and seen people who discovered that they were adopted and there was the hysterics and the crying and the screaming. And you are just taking this whole thing with this huge smile on your face like this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. How are you in this mindset? more to this story so wait a second because this is a new piece of information so at 16 you got pregnant in the 70s you were adopted you were your adopted parents only child you lived in a middle-class neighborhood pretty well off so this was definitely not a part of the expectation for the path your life should take you just really had a big complication. Um, okay, so we're we're gonna we're, yeah let let's shelve that part for a second and we'll go back to that because that's that's pretty huge. Um, let let's talk about when you finally got to Boston and met with Ella. Who initiated the conversation and how did the conversation go in terms of learning the truth about your identity? the fact that she was your mom, the fact that she gave you up, making sure that your feelings were okay. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, like I said, I had a drink on the plane. Mm -hmm. And when I, I, I think my biological mother had had devil's drinks of Jack Daniels, her favorite drink. And um, I could tell she was nervous. That was the first time. I had ever been with her and seen such a nervousness. 
had a very good relationship, I think the first thing I said to her was, why are you so nervous? Mm-hmm. Why, why, you, whatever you say is going to be a bad thing because there's nothing that you can say that would make me not love you. And, you know, she was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't want you to think that I didn't love you. And I'm like, but I always knew you loved me because you were my favorite aunt. She was like, yeah, but, you know, people can tell you stories. And I'm like, mm, who really cares, you know? And she was like, well, I just want you to understand that I did, she did what she thought was best right. for me. Right, right. Putting me in a really good family that could give me anything that I wanted, the best education, whatever, whatever, that that was what was best at the time. And I said, well, that's fine. So who chose for you to go to this particular family? Was this Ella's choice? How did she arrive at this decision? Well, her mother had shared with her that, you know, she had a friend. Uh, I'm sure that she knew of my adopted mother because of the relationship that my adopted mother had with my biological grandmother, Mary, and my aunts. So they were they were pretty the three of them were pretty because my biological grandmother and my biological mother's two sisters, all of them were integrated together. So it was more or less like, you know, here's somebody that can't have children, here's someone that is well off, um, here's someone that's a friend of family, so why not? Okay. So how did Ella feel um, talking to you about this? Did did she find relief at some point unburdening herself of this big secret that she had held for twenty five years? What what was her what was her stance? I think her stance was nervousness. Um, she coming from the south, being raised in. I pretty much could feel how she felt, you know, not wanting to have one more person judge her, not wanting one more person to have an opinion about that they probably didn't know anything about. So a lot of things that she could have said, she didn't have to say. Right. Because it's just the the bond that we had. Um, And then I, I didn't want her to be stressed out like that. You know, I've already been married and divorced, and I, I just didn't. I knew I did. I did not know all the dynamics, but I really didn't want her to go into all the dynamics. It, it wasn't important because I felt in my spirit it had to be something pretty bad. You know what I'm saying? I just really think that it's remarkable of you to not have any malice in your heart. Like, I really can't even get past that, that it's such a remarkable thing that you did not hold malice in your heart against her. Because even though you had the material things that you wanted, you had all of your needs met, you had most of your wants met, you didn't want for anything really. You know, I remember the last time we spoke, you talked about how you told your dad you wanted a house, a big house. And so he bought the land next to the house you were living in and decided to build you a real life house. So, you know, at that day and age, to be able to have those types of um, adventures in your life that became real life things, things that that adults wanted but could not capture or gain for themselves it's amazing to me that even in the midst of all of your wants being met there was still an emotional lack with your adopted mother and you were still able to forego being angry with your biological mother like that is truly I don't know. It just speaks to the type of person that you are and and your ability to forgive, really, and not hold a grudge, you know? I think it has. 
mm-hmm. like a lot of things that went on in the real world, I wasn't privy to because I lived such a sheltered life. Now, I, I guess if I had known that there were people that weren't married and had single lives and had to raise children on their own and stuff like that, you know, I would maybe I've had in that was different, but because my biological mother was and my adopted grandmother and my adopted father were my love support, you know, um, don't get me wrong, I, I know without a doubt my adopted mother loved me. I just know she did not like me for whatever reason. I think there are things that I'll never know. conversation now in the first episode that we did together we talked about the fact that your adopted mother Ella had three children before you that you were number four in line so where are the other children did they know about you and what was your relationship with them because there was a daughter and two sons before you correct all right, so especially the daughter, what was her relationship like with you? What was her interpretation of what happened? Was she accepting of you? How difficult was that relationship? Well, <laughs> my oldest sister is one of a kind. She's special. She is. She's special. <laughs> So for her, it was just... Now, Now let me ask you a question. Did she know before you knew? We talked about the people in the South that knew, but did your siblings know? Well, my oldest brother knew, and my oldest sister knew. <laughs> my oldest sister, she, we were taught as cousins, so um, I, uh, I, uh, she never got a chance to play with me because she was the one that you couldn't shut up. I'm not going to play with my sister and not tell her. She's my sister. I'm all lost. So if you don't want me to tell her, do not have me around because I'm not doing it. So I didn't get to have a relationship with her. This thing is so far reaching. So 
basically, even though you guys were taught to, that you were cousins and that you were related in that mysterious Southern connection that, you know, everybody that's close friends usually call themselves cousins, she was not allowed to really play with you for fear that she would let the cat out of the bag before it was time. It wasn't a... <laughs> it was a real life. <laughs> wow. Wow. So were the other siblings I, accepting of you? Well, my oldest brother, he um he went along with it. I always pretended he was my big brother, even though he was taught to me as my cousin. Oh my gosh. And, you know, he, he really got a kick out there because he knew I he was my brother. So, you know. They could trust him because he wouldn't tell. Right. You know? So he, um, my baby sister didn't know a thing. We was just, but we used to pretend that we were sisters, even though we were cousins because we just had such a great bond. So when I came to Boston, it was my baby sister, my middle sister, and my older sister. Um, everybody was fine. You know, the girls were like, so much like you are the spitting image of your biological mother it's like there's no telling where she ended and you began that's how much you look like her you look more like her than any of the kids that were raised by her. It, it says if I have no father. It's no, as if you have no father. Exactly right. So let me ask you this, and this is going to be a rather difficult question perhaps, but let's just cut to the chase. Everybody is feeling so flowery and happy and like we're walking on clouds and this is just the greatest thing and you know life is grand but you have to be able to say to me Anna in all actuality although this was really grand this really screwed me up emotionally mentally when did you get to that point? Because up to now, you are just so forgiving and you're so accepting and you just love everybody. It's like the flower children in, you know, running through a field. We're all holding hands and running and picking roses. And this really is not a rosy situation. So at what point did this start smelling like boo-boo? about what we could talk about. And she said, 
from your mother that we keep our relationship like we had aunt and niece that I you know I don't want you to not accept your mother as your adopted mother as your mother because I don't think that's fair that bothered me a lot because mm-hmm. the best Mm-hmm. But now I have reality that you're glad that I know that you're my mother, but you really don't want to be my mother. You want to be my best friend and my aunt, which you were. But that put a sour taste in my mouth that I didn't feel like she was as happy as I was about the truth, which she didn't have a problem with the truth, but I felt like uh, you wanting to still have a relationship of us being aunt and niece, but not wanting us to be mother and daughter because other people were going to look at you like you didn't have the right to do that this, that, and the other. So again, I felt like the lie was catching back up again. That yes, I'm happy that you're my mother, but I have to realize that even though you're my mother, you were not at a mother-daughter place, if that makes a lot of sense. I don't know... For me, just hearing you explain that and her wanting to take the back seat to stepping into a motherly role towards you, it kind of leads me to two questions and they go in sort of different directions. So we'll take them however you'd like. But the first question it leads me to is in the course of our last two discussions, this discussion and our last discussion, you have never said that you found out who your biological father was. So number one, it leads me to question whether or not her desire to remain with that whole false relationship was based on the fact that she still had secrets that needed to be kept. Or number two, that she felt like she needed to protect everybody but herself or as I'm talking now number three is that she really didn't desire to be your mother at all and she really just wanted to take the easy way out is it some of one two and three is it all of one two and three is it a little bit of two one of th- I mean what what is your feeling about her responsibility to you and her responsibility to everybody else. Why do you feel like she did not want to accept that role? I think it was more of number two. She was more concerned about everybody else's feelings and the fallout, you know. Um, and and I, I, I'm, I think I, I'm at a fault sometimes of wanting to protect other people's feelings more than I care about protecting mine. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I believe that that's the rule she took. So, basically, it seems as though she was really interested in protecting everybody else's feelings. And it seems to me that she had, just listening to what you've disclosed... It seemed that she had a very big concern about protecting your biological mother and her feelings. What's your take on that? Because what was their relationship like given one of the things that we talked about the last time was the whole colorism thing in your biological family. The fact that your mother was the dark-skinned child and everybody else was light, fair-skinned. So she was as she stated of her own, on her own, that she was the black sheep of the family. So what what is your feeling about her desire to be so protective of your adopted mom? What What's your stance on that? Well, it's funny that you 
Elodie, I think she was really being protective of my adopted dad. Now, why? Maybe because he was just a nice guy, and, you know, I don't know. But I never saw them with, like, big friends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's just something that you haven't said in the course of our conversation what made her think that you wanted her to just become her mother anyway was it because she knew the history with you and your adopted mother and the feelings and the discord and you know what gave her that that thought that you would just want her to X out your adopted mother and, and roll right into being this wonderful, glorious mother? Like I told you, she was a psych nurse, my biological mother. So, right. you know, this is what she did. <laughs> Born out of living, you right. know what I'm saying? Um, I think in her heart, she knew that my adopted mother was a very difficult personality person mm -hmm. but I think she that her intentions were good her approach probably wasn't but her intentions uh, were good I believe that my biological mother believed that she owed her the respect of not replacing her mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, okay, we're talking well, we're talking secrets that I will probably never unfold, mm -hmm. and we're talking about personalities. My biological mother and my adopted mother, personalities are like day and night. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't, I think that my, I, biological mother knew that she had the whole package. She had her kid, she had her kid's love, and that's something that my adopted mother didn't have. She never really had it. She never had the whole package. She had the kid that loved her, but she wasn't able to just step up to the plate in, in all areas, you know, and Till this day, until her dying day, I asked her, what was the problem? Because I still don't know really what the problem was, because how do you not like a little kid? I mean, how do you have so much jealousy about a little kid? How do you just don't want to be accepting the love of a child and no idea that you weren't. Is it, is it the thought that you might find out one day? You know, is it the thought that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I honestly really thought that the reason why she didn't like me when I found out I was adopted that my adopted father was somehow my father. That's what I always thought. And, and, and to me, that would have explained the dislike right. that, you know. It's funny you like should that. say that because as I'm sitting here, you know, thinking and listening to what you're saying, I am really, I find myself just really deeply trying to understand 
everybody's feelings from their perspective. Perspective is a hell of a thing. And if you are able to step into someone else's place and see things from their vantage point, it gives you a level of compassion that you would not have if you were not able to step into their shoes. And so I'm just sitting here thinking about your adopted mother and to hear you say, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, like you, what would make her not like a kid? I mean, you were a cute kid. You had these big cheeks that were just so adorable. Um, you were loving towards people that you met. You weren't shy. So everybody genuinely liked you as a kid. But for some reason, she could not find that connection with you. And so sitting here listening to you, it's funny that you should say that you thought your biological father was your real father. Because over the years, that too has been my thought. Um, and perhaps, you know, Ella, your adopted mom, had a sense of guilt if in fact this were true that they had an affair and you were the product of their affair, that Ella had such a sense of guilt that she felt like she owed that respect to your adopted mom. Now, let me just put this disclaimer out there. These are speculations of a kid. These are speculations of a woman who for 25 years did not know who her real parents were. This is in no way regarded as truth. These, again, are simply speculations. You know, human nature is that we really try to figure out why things fit together the way that they do. And it's very difficult to understand how a woman who, for all intents and purposes, is designed to be the nurturer, doesn't know how to nurture a child who so willingly gives love. And so in our human frailty, you know, in our human minds, we always look for the biggest reason that can possibly explain away the level of pain that somebody else inflicts upon you because of their own shortcomings. And so that's a huge thing to offer as a reason why she couldn't love you. And it really would explain everything away enough for you to be able to accept her disdain for you at times because now you can see well gosh that really hurt Yeah, I think all 
she figured that was the safest route, but what she didn't realize that that safe route put me in a bad place because I was ecstatic that you're mom and you're ecstatic to be protective of all these people that didn't do a lot for you. You know, they, they painted bad picture of you when they could. They, uh, they, they weren't nice about you, about her. And, and I didn't understand why she wanted to be so protective about them. That's why I still say there probably is some secrets out there that I'm not ever going to know. All right, so here's the most obvious question. Who's your father? Now, this would be the same man who was in Europe with your mom. When your mom, and I don't mean to laugh, but it's a little comical. So, this was the same man that had taken his mistress to Europe when he was in the service, in the military. And so, he was in Europe when you were conceived, but you were told that this was your dad. Gosh, so how old were you when you met Mr. Govan? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Tell me, tell me what the laughter is about. He was funny because when I called him, I said, Hi, how are you? And he said, I'm fine. I said, Well, I'm Jennifer, I am Ella's daughter. And she said, You're my father. I won't know what you say. <laughs> Did you know? I, I said, no. So he was like, um, well, that's what she said. That, that, that's exactly what she said. I said, well, okay. What I need to know is what you say. It's the truth, right. And so how, how long after you spoke with Ella did you connect with Mr. Govan? Mm, a couple of months. Okay. So it was it was within the same time frame, within three months or so. Yeah. Okay. this question and and I'm asking you this from my vantage point because once I met you shortly thereafter I met Mr. Govair and the the moment that I met him I said to myself this is not your daddy (laughs) and listen I'm not a geneticist I am not, you know, I I don't have a medical degree, 
But there are just some things that you only need your two eyes to confirm for you. And when Mr. Govan walked into your house and was introduced as, you know, this is my daddy, I was like, the hell? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and that was the easiest route to peace. All right. Now I need to interject this question because we know that Ella had seven children that we know of for certain. So you are number four. And to add just a little more spice to this pot of stew we're cooking, there was a child that came how many years after you? Because there, there wasn't that much time between. You guys are very close in age. All right. So what's interesting to me, and people, of course, won't know this until we explain. George was also, your brother was also given up for adoption. Who was he given to? Of your, of Ella's, of your biological uh, mother. Uh, right. My Rivadale. Right, cousin. Oh. But Rivadale's parents, your, your, your biological aunt and uncle, your grand aunt and uncle, actually. But the twist with your brother is that he was never formally adopted by your aunt and uncle. He was just raised by your aunt and uncle. So your mother retained parental rights for him. When did he find out? Because what, what I find so very fascinating about that piece of the story is of all seven of you, children one through three look like Mr. Govan. They resemble him in body structure, facial features, etc., you and brother, child number five, you are four, and the child number five, who is your brother after you, look like Ella spit you out. Neither one of you can begin any place other than where she ends. That's how much you look like her. And then children six and seven resemble their father and their people. So what I find is so fascinating is, from my vantage point, there is no way that your father, whoever he is, is not your brother's father too. Because you guys look too much alike for there to be different. And, and I'm saying that because Ella's genes were not so strong. It was important to point out that Children one through three look like their father. Then you and your brother, number four and five, look exactly like your mother. And then six and seven look like their father. So when did you find out about brother number five, about child number five, who was your brother, who was your third brother? Cupid, the Valentine Cupid? Yeah. That's a whole nother story. That's another podcast. <laughs>
So all this time, you did not know that there was a biological brother 30 minutes up the road from you, literally up the road. So, I tracked him down. Of course you did. Now, have they kept in touch? Had she been in touch with him throughout his life like she was with you? Yeah, yeah. And and what did he think of her as? Aunt Ella as well? You know, I never asked him. I think he always knew, though, she was his mother. I'm, I'm almost positive that he always knew okay. that that was his mother. Because, oh, now, he was raised by his aunt and uncle. Right. So, I, I think he pretty much knew that that was his mother. Okay, um, got it. neighborhood people well, that's good <laughs> Like, you 
you're like, you know what? I remember when you couldn't say that. So now you first man in the boat now with the lot of you think that's cool, you know, so I tell you what, this this story has so many twists and turns um, that it is just unbelievable to me. And what I still take away from this, even listening to what we've discussed today, what I still take away from this is I am fascinated that you were able to take it all in stride. But what I really want to talk about, and we're at the end of our time today, but what I want to talk about in the next episode is the changes in your life that happened as a result of you taking it all in stride. And I'll be really honest, um, it's, it's very surprising to me that you, um, were so loving and so forgiving. I keep going back to that because I think about, and I guess for me, you know, I think about the fact that I know personally, I saw the interaction between you and your adopted mom. I saw firsthand once we met each other and became close, I saw firsthand the pain that that relationship caused you. And what I am realizing now after this conversation is that you really sacrificed some of the truth about how you felt to make sure that everybody around you who initiated this situation, who took part in this situation, who kept these secrets from you, you did a lot in terms of sacrificing of self to make sure that everybody remained comfortable and fluid. And by fluid, I mean not stuck in one place, but able to move and and just keep moving. And during our next episode, I definitely want to talk about what that sacrifice cost you. I want you to be able to explain, especially for women, I want you to be able to explain what that sacrifice cost you, what it cost your family, what it what it continues to cost you even today mentally and how you have really still maintained positivity in the midst of such turmoil cuz this is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. Yeah. Because the reason I'm even this is because I have been in a really stuck place for a very long time. It it really felt safe to be protective of everybody else, but it was it's not a safe place for me. No. That's where I'm at. It's it's nice to you know, understand everything that happened. It's nice to accept everything that has happened, but it's not nice to feel some of the things that I felt when the domino effect started. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. I, I will put out there that I am writing a book where the little pieces that aren't built in during this podcast. Right. And and I didn't even know you were going to make that announcement. So what I love about that announcement is that now, beside me getting on your nerves about being true to completing the book, now you have to do it because you've already told people that it's coming. And I I just want to say one thing before we close. I just want to say one thing about being stuck. You know, when we are so careful to take care of other people and not very careful about taking care of ourselves, we get caught in a place that's very difficult to move from. And in this particular place, it's very difficult to navigate for yourself because you have always removed yourself from the equation and everybody else And their stuff 
have been the pieces and the parts of the puzzle that you've moved around to make fit. And really, your, your pieces and your puzzle are a whole separate puzzle on their own that you have to figure out how to bring together and complete so that you are able to move from a place of being stuck and you can have the fluid motion that you have so selfish, selfishly given to other people. that there is always a version of the truth and your truth may not be completely colored the way my truth is, but everybody's truth comes from their own perspective. definitely going to be a part of <laughs> I'll tell you something when we first talked about doing this podcast six months ago um, me and my silly self thought that we would do an episode that would be a hour and then it would be done and what I did not realize in being naive about this story and helping to pull apart all the layers is that this is sort of a freedom walk for you. This is a setting free for you of your own um, self, of yourself, of, of finding yourself and discovering the safety in your own self-care. That doesn't mean that you don't take care of everybody else. But that means that you are coming into the realization that if you don't care for you first, there is nothing that you can properly do for anybody else that supersedes you. Nothing. 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 And I, where we go is, and like I said in the first podcast, Absolutely. 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 Well, Jennifer, again, I am fascinated to be on this road, this this journey of self-discovery with you. Um, I appreciate your transparency in this podcast. Um it's very difficult to have to recount this truth just in the privacy of your own self and in your own place, your own safe place. But to be able to do it with such um, grace and ability to be completely open and, and speak your truth for yourself, 
I have to tell you how much I admire that about you. So our next podcast will air one week from Monday. Um, and I am super excited about it. And I look forward to talking to you then. All right, Cassandra. Take care. I'm very happy. All right. I believe that this is going to be a wonderful thing. All right, guys, we will see you the next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Healing You, Healing Me. Um, I pray that something that we've said here has been inspiring to you or a source of encouragement or a source of motivation. Please be sure to join us next week as we can continue with Who Has Jennifer Ann Part 3. Take care. Bye-bye.